Um, let me pray as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. Father thank you so much for this time to look at your word together and uh, we pray now that you would encourage us and help us as we do that so that Jesus might be glorified in our lives and so that we might proclaim him um, and so that we might serve him in your world. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. So I think a word for our times is the word unprecedented. Um, if you like graphs, check out this graph that I uh, got from Google Trends, which shows the number of searches for the word unprecedented um, over time. Okay, can you see what's going on there? You've got 2015, 2016, 2017, and then right at the end, you get this spike. You see there the spike? That spike is March 2020. So all the people unprecedented, not being used, not being used, not being used. And suddenly there's a massive spike in the use of the word unprecedented or at least people searching for it. You might say there's been an unprecedented rise in people searching for the word unprecedented. So whether we're thinking about suffering or death or fear and anxiety and loneliness, and frustration or stress, uh, we may be thinking, why are these unprecedented things happening? How do we keep going? For many individuals and families, there are concerns about health and work and school. And for Christians, what does this season mean for church, for our Christian life? What does it mean to trust Jesus in these times? So we're going to look at 1 Peter for these uh, weeks to come, because this book seems particularly appropriate for times such as these. It is a letter for suffering Christians. It's a letter for Christians who feel up against it, that things are not as they would like them to be. So the Apostle Peter is uh, writing this letter. He's named in verse one. He's in Rome, which he refers to as uh, uh, Babylon at the end of the letter in the second reading we heard uh, the last couple of verses um, historians tell us that Peter died there in Rome under the reign of the emperor Nero sometime between AD 64 and 68 and Nero famously persecuted Christians with extreme brutality he, he, he dressed them in animal skins to be attacked and killed by dogs and he soaked them in wax and he set fire to them to pro provide illumination in his gardens. But as you read 1 Peter, the suffering that Peter talks about here isn't yet quite on that kind of scale. So chapter four, verse four, if, you, um, uh, if, you, if you've got that in front of you, chapter four, verse four, um, they, uh, Christians are being mocked for refusing to join in the debauchery and godlessness of the surrounding culture. In chapters two and three, it, the, the issues that they're dealing with are conflicts where, because, which arise from having a non-Christian boss or from having a non-Christian spouse. So what this suggests is that Peter is, is writing from Rome just before the rise of Nero in, in AD 64. Any earlier, and Paul would almost certainly have referred to Peter being in Rome because he's writing from there as well. Paul doesn't mention the fact that Peter's with him. Um, so it's likely to be just on the, on the cusp as suffering is about to increase greatly. In, in, um, and and the, the point is, therefore, 
Peter is writing at a time that is rather similar to what we are experiencing now. You know, we're not being imprisoned or killed for our faith in the UK. Um, that does happen around the world, but it's not happening here at the moment. But there is that sense that Christians are being sidelined. We can face mockery. We can feel tempted to feel insignificant in a culture that basically doesn't really want to talk about Christian things anymore. Well, that's what it feels like. Well, at the end of the letter, Peter will say, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. This is what suffering Christians need, he is saying. Confidence in the grace of God. Confidence that they have the true grace of God. In these unprecedented times, it's easy to feel that what we just need is to be told what to do. Just need some action points. You know, how do we get through the next few months? How do we get out of lockdown? How do we get taken seriously as Christians? How do we avoid the suffering that we fear or that we are facing? But as Peter writes about the grace of God, he begins not with action points and things to do, not with imperatives, to use the grammatical term, but he begins with indicatives. In other words, he begins not with this is what you must do, but with who you are. This is who you are. It's like the Bourne identity. You know, the, the, the films, Jason Bourne wakes up at the beginning of film one and he has no idea who he is. And he has to kind of work that out. And before God's people can get on with the mission, as it were, God's people need to work out who they are. That's what Peter's saying to his readers. And it's the same for us as we face our circumstances today. Who are we? Well, let's see how uh, that, that uh, as we look at these verses, these introductory verses, the first couple of verses in, in chapter one, see how that speaks into our lives today. So in suffering, firstly, first thing to, to draw out of this, in suffering, remember who you are, God's elect. Remember who you are, God's elect. Now, for many of us, when, when we hear the word elect, uh, there's, a, there's a sort of sound that goes off, a bit like this. You know, klaxon. Um, sounding, uh, you know, how can God choose some and not others, we're thinking. Doesn't that mean I have no responsibility or freedom? Well, hang on a minute. Let's just slow down. At, you know, at the risk of ducking those issues, that isn't really the point here. Let's first understand what, what Peter is doing with this word elect. The idea of being God's chosen people isn't a new thing in the New Testament. It's an Old Testament concept. It's great that we're reading through the Old Testament at the moment, many of us in our Old Testament reading plan. And, and, and uh, we've been studying Genesis as well. Last term we studied Genesis and last year we looked at Abraham. We've seen God began his plan to save the whole world with one man. But as we've seen over and over, he didn't choose this one man and the nation that came from him in order to kind of exclude and leave out the rest of the world. But in order to bless the rest of the world. And that is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And so this is meant to be an encouragement to people who are on the back foot. 
feeling insignificant in a culture that has little place for Christianity. He's, Peter's saying, remember who you, God's elect, God's chosen people, remember who you are. You are that people. You are chosen by God. You are significant. You may feel insignificant, but you are significant. You matter. You are continuing the plan of God that began at the start of the Old Testament. And in verse 2, he says it's according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And again, we're kind of, oh, foreknowledge, foreknowledge. Well, that word foreknow is the same word Peter uses later in the chapter of Jesus. So verse 20, if you've got that in front of you, chapter 1, that, that Jesus, who was, um, uh, uh, in fact, it's not verse 20, is it? It's, um, sorry, I'm, I'm my... It is verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Do you see, it's the same word, foreknown. He was chosen, foreknown before the creation of the world. And the word Peter uses give, gives us the modern word prognosis. So um, a doctor might give a prognosis for an illness. And that isn't simply about knowing what is going to happen. It's not, just, it's not just predicting the future, but the doctor might say, with the intervention that we're going to do, the prognosis is very positive. And, and you see the doctor is then doing something to bring about the outcome. And it's the same with God, you see. It isn't simply that God knows in advance as an observer what Jesus is going to do, or he knows in advance then in verse one and verse two here who his people will be just as an observer. No, it's all in his plan that he knows from beginning to end, that Jesus has to die and rise, and that as a result, there will be a people who belong to him. So you are, if you're trusting in Jesus, he's saying, you are chosen. So can you see also that as, that he, as he's using this word then, and as he, as he talks about God's people being chosen, it's very important to see that this mirrors what is true of Jesus. And actually, that's going to be a massive theme in this letter. What is true of Jesus is true of his people. He, he's chosen before the beginning of the world. So are they. His mission is foreknown and planned before the creation of the world. So is theirs. And by implication, therefore, his suffering is foreknown and is all within God's plan because God intended for Jesus to die on the cross. So his suffering is foreknown. And therefore, so is theirs. So is God's people's. Nothing takes God by surprise. Do you see? And actually, that is, that is an encouragement. It's an encouragement to know that the God who loves us enough to send his son to die for us, that when stuff happens and it kind of feels completely out of control, it's encouraging to know, no, no, God's got this. He is in control. And what is true of Jesus is going to be true of us. What happened to Jesus? He suffered and he died, but he rose. Death did not have the last word. Suffering did not have the last word. And so it will be with God's people. So be encouraged. That's the point of this. Now, to those who struggle with those questions and have the, the klaxon going off when we hear these words, I think what I'd say is go back and listen to the sermon on the website on Ephesians chapter one, which we preached in September 2018. And we looked at this in a little bit more detail. Actually, 
Peter isn't really worried about those kind of questions here. Uh, you know, clearly it doesn't take away our responsibility to respond to what God has done by, by trusting in Jesus. You know, it's true we are chosen. It's true we still need to, 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 to respond to it. We still need to trust. We, 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 from our point of view, if you hear that somebody um, encouraging you to put your faith in Jesus, do it. Don't kind of go, oh, am I chosen or not? No, if, if you put your trust in Jesus, you will know that you are chosen. That's the, that, that's the Bible logic. But Peter's point is, no, be encouraged. Remember who you are. Get your identity clear. You're not just an insignificant part of society. You are God's chosen people. And we, it, it, identity is really important, isn't it? Because we live in a world where the concept of identity is a total mess. So on the one hand, in some cultures, particularly non-Western cultures, identity is apparently clear. You play the role in society that you were assigned from birth. You fulfill the expectations of your parents. You, you don't challenge them. And, and perhaps that lives on in more conservative Western society now with notions of class and race. But then up against that, you have the complete opposite. You, you can be whoever you want to be. Don't, don't play a role. Write your own script for your life. You know, whatever job you want, whatever relationships you want, even whatever gender, whatever sexuality is your desire, you are free to choose it for yourself. And actually, neither the conservative view of identity nor the radical view of identity is the biblical one. Because identity is something that is given to us by God. And therefore, it transcends all human ways of identifying ourselves, whether it's by, you know, who my parents are, where I come from, where I grew up, what school I went to, um, my, 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 my so-called my so class, my so-called race, what, what, you know, whatever else. No, from God's point of view, the most important thing you can say about these people is you are my people. Not I'm English or German or Chinese, not that I'm rich or poor, not that I'm an accountant, a, a doctor, a teacher, a homemaker, a carpenter. No, I am a member of God's people. If I'm trusting in Jesus. Much of who we thought we were is being challenged in this season. Well, here is something that cannot be taken away. If we're trusting in Jesus, we are part of his chosen people. That is who we are. And it's going to be a theme we see again and again through this letter. So remember uh, who you are, God's elect. Then secondly, in suffering, remember where you are in exile. Remember where you are in exile. Do you see that word in verse one, exiles? Elect exiles in the, in, the, in the New International Version, if you're following that, it says strangers in the world. Uh, in the dispersion, he says, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. They're spread out, spread out over what is modern Turkey, basically. And the word dispersion is a technical term. You could also translate it diaspora. It's like the language used of God's people in exile in the Old Testament. Away from home in a foreign country and culture spread out from one another. But as you read through the letter, the recipients don't sound like they are primarily Jewish or, or, or Jewish Christians because he, you know, Peter talks about the empty way of life handed down from their forefathers, which isn't a very Jewish way to talk about their heritage, but will make more sense for Gentiles. 
So the point seems to be that, like with the word elect, he's deliberately using an Old Testament word to describe their New Testament experience. Again, it happens at the end of the letter. We saw so, you know, she who is in Babylon. Babylon doesn't exist at, at this point. It's, it, you know, the empire has fallen. It is gone. Rome has taken its place. Rome is the Babylon of the day. But he's calling it Babylon to evoke the Old Testament imagery of being away from home, being under foreign power, feeling out of place. So can you see it's, it's like the word elect then? It's, it's an Old Testament word. And we, and we might feel the same now scattered and dispersed around North London and beyond, no building to, to point to and be proud of. And, you know, so we think of how much of our identity as a church is, is bound up with having this wonderful building in Hampstead. You know, we need to know, actually, what does it mean to be God's people spread out and, and with no sort of visible thing to, to point to and say, this is who we are. So we need to know that. But actually, Peter's point is not simply about physical exile and dispersion, although it clearly applies to that. But it's about the alienation from the culture around us. So even in normal non-coronavirus circumstances, he's saying we are strangers in the world. We are exiles. And whether we're teenagers at school or we're living out our faith at work, we, we know if we stick our heads above the parapet and let it be known that we are trusting Jesus, we are increasingly doing something that alienates us from others. So that, that, that's what Peter's trying to, to, to get us to understand. This is who you are. You are exiles. You are different. If you're trusting in Jesus, that makes you different. Understand that. Don't be surprised by it. And remember again, like we saw with um, with, with, the work, with, with, with the idea of being God's chosen people, this also makes us think of Jesus, this elect idea, because Jesus was an outcast, wasn't he? He was rejected by his own people. So remember what we saw, what is true of Jesus is true of his people. That is what Peter is underlining here. Don't be surprised when you are rejected don't be surprised when if people find out that you're going to the christian union at school or going to a lunchtime meeting at work or simply that you are a christian who who, who worships the god of the bible through jesus you know if people discover this don't be surprised if they think you're mad if they exclude you if you feel like an outsider if you feel like your values are different from everyone else's around you don't be surprised peter is saying you are in exile some of us at st john's are literally in exile from our home countries in the in the uk you, you know you know firsthand how it feels to be <clears throat> a foreigner and to need to adjust to strange customs about what well, i don't know, tea queuing we've, we've managed to keep queuing going even in lockdown haven't we we're not going to stop doing that but you see if we're trusting in jesus there is a more fundamental sense in which being in exile is what life will look like and when you feel like an outsider there are two tempting uh, two, two competing temptations one is to want to fit in to do what everyone else is doing the other is to to carry on sticking out but feel utterly insignificant and ridiculous and discouraged so Peter is saying, look, don't, don't go in either of those directions. This is normal. Don't get too comfy and don't despair when it doesn't feel comfy enough. 
your home is the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. This is not your destination. This is the journey. Peter Randolph was an African-American slave in the 19th century. And he wrote of how the slaves on their plantations, they would wander off the plantations to assemble for secret worship services. And they'd have a time of fellowship. There would be preaching and prayer and singing until he, and he writes, you know, and they do that until everyone was feeling quite generally quite happy. And then they would sing one more hymn about heaven and finish by exclaiming together, thank God I shall not live here always. Now that has been the real experience of many Christians past and present to live in very difficult circumstances whether literally in slavery or in persecution and it is actually an anomaly we have to keep reminding ourselves of this it is an anomaly to live as a Christian in times of comfort and prosperity. Peter is encouraging his readers to have the attitude I am an exile this is not my home I shall not live here always. So remember who you are the elect. Remember where you are in exile when you're suffering. And then thirdly and finally, remember who you belong to. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, remember who you belong to. Do you notice how each person of the Trinity is there in verse 2? That they became God's elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, as we've seen already. Christians have been brought into a new family with a new inheritance and a new perfect father. <clears throat> There's a story of an adopted boy who goes to school and gets bullied by the other children. And, and this is incredibly difficult for him and makes things miserable until one day something dawns on him. And he turns to these bullies as they taunt him and he says, do you know what? My parents chose me when they adopted me. Yours didn't have a choice. We belong to God the Father. We are his by choice. It doesn't depend on us to work our way into his family, to wonder if we're good enough, wonder if he's going to accept us. No, it depends on him. And he goes on, we belong to God the Holy Spirit, who has sanctified us. The word sanctified means set apart. It's connected to the word for being holy. It means being like God and being unlike the world around us. So here is a sugar spoon. It lives in, here, here it is, it lives in, the, uh, in our sugar pot. Now this sugar spoon is only for sugar. It shouldn't touch anything else. Don't put it in the tea. Um, you know, if it gets in the tea, it's game over and we all get very cross. It is set apart. Okay, because if you, if you get it in the tea, if you don't understand this, you need to understand this. If you get it in the tea, it gets wet. You put it back in the sugar, the sugar is destroyed. I, I hope that's clear, but it should be. The, the, the sugar spoon is set apart for special use. And that is the work of God, the Holy Spirit. You see, he sets his people apart. Do, do we feel different from the world around us? Well, we should. We should feel different. You know, if we feel completely the same as all the other people around us, who don't trust in Jesus and don't believe in it. Well, actually, there's, there's something not right there. Something not right there at all. 
if we're Christians, our aspiration is to be not living for now, but for then. Not living for, for, for ourselves, but for others. Not living for wealth and comfort and prosperity, but for increasing godliness. And you see, we have the Holy Spirit who has set us apart and who then enables us to do that. So we belong to God the Father, we belong to God the Spirit, and then lastly, <clears throat> we belong to God the Son. The language of obedience and sprinkling in verse 2 is again Old Testament language. So in Exodus 24, the covenant with Moses was sealed with the sprinkling of blood and the people were called to obedience. Sprinkling, obedience, Exodus 24. Peter is saying, Jesus died to save you, to redeem you, and that makes you the new covenant people of God who belong to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in these unprecedented times, despite your insignificance, despite your suffering, despite the challenges you face, despite your sin, remember who you are, Peter is saying. God's elect, his chosen people. Or if you're not yet trusting in Jesus, remember who you are invited to be. Remember who you are. Remember where you are in exile. Don't be surprised when it's hard. And then finally, remember who you belong to. You belong to the God of the universe who chose you, who sent his son to die for you, to redeem you, to bring you into the new covenant people of God, who then sends his Holy Spirit to set you apart, to be made like him. So let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we've had looking at your words. And we pray that as we continue to reflect on this in our own lives, please would you help us to remember who we are, to remember the privilege of being your people. Please help us to remember where we are, not to be surprised when life is tough because we are in exile. This is what life looks like for the people of God in the present as we wait for Jesus to return. Please help us to remember who we belong to. We belong to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please help us then to walk the path that Jesus walked, the one who was chosen, the one who suffered as an outcast, the one who died and rose and is now seated at your right hand. Thank you that if we're trusting in Jesus, that is our journey too. So may we trust in Jesus today, even if it's for the first time, and may we then walk with you as we continue to look at this letter, this term, and as we continue to live for you this week with all the challenges of life and coronavirus and work and family life and everything else. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.